to begin this morning in the Word of God in John's Gospel, chapter 1, and just reading a few verses uh, from verse uh, 35 uh, onward. Again, the next day, John, that's John the Baptist, stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following him, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, being translated, Teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon, said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone or a rock. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Amen. Jesus had started to gather his disciples to begin his ministry. And just the day before, as we saw, he called Andrew and his brother Peter. And then next was Philip to be called into the ministry. And Philip immediately, immediately he thought of his good friend Nathaniel. And he wanted to go to him, seek him out, and tell him that we had found the Messiah. Now, whether Philip and Nathaniel were friends socially or professionally, we just don't know. But what we do know is that as soon as Philip knew they had found the Messiah, there was one person, his closest, dearest friend, that he absolutely, like Andrew, wanted to share Christ with him. Isn't it wonderful that the, the best people that we can share the Lord with, of course, is our family and our friends? Now, Philip and Nathaniel, they, they longed to see the Messiah. Uh, you know, they were well-versed in Scripture. They had their Hebrew Bible. And no doubt, I'm sure, they spent many a happy hour searching through the Messianic Scriptures and what the prophets said and what the psalmist said, looking to see who Messiah would be and when he would come and how he would come. And so those would be the things I believe that, that Nathaniel would be thinking about as he sat under the fig tree. This, this just wasn't any, any fig tree. This was the place, I believe, that he would go to and Philip when he was there. They would go to and they would pray together and share together, search the scriptures together. And of course, this would be the place where Nathaniel would meditate and think upon the things of God. And so I want you to notice in verse 45, it says, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, 
We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Now, whenever he said that, I, I'm, I'm sure Nathaniel's heart skipped a beat. Uh, his ears would prick up because this is the news that he had wanted to hear, probably since he was a boy. He wanted to hear and see the Messiah. And here's his closest friend coming to him, a man that he could trust, and telling him, we have found the Messiah. He's here. I have met him. I have spoken to him. And, and, and I imagine that moment that Nathaniel, that must have been the most exciting time in his entire life, to actually to believe that right now I'm going to meet and see the Messiah, the one whom I have prayed about and thought about and read about for all of these years, I'm going to actually get to meet him now. And so this was the exciting moment in Nathaniel's life. And then, and then Philip dropped a bombshell because he continued. Listen to what he said. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus of Nazareth. And I, I can see in my mind's eye, in my imagination, I can see at that moment that Nathaniel's face would drop, that his heart would sink into his sandals. Nazareth, Nazareth, Philip. Philip, have you taken leave of your senses? Nazareth, it cannot be. Nazareth, are you sure? Jesus of Nazareth, that's not possible, Philip. No, you must be mistaken. I imagine this would be something of the conversation going on. You see, Nathaniel, being a student of Scripture, he would have known that the Messiah would have been born in Bethlehem in Judea. He would have known that. And now Philip's talking about him coming from Nazareth. He, he couldn't square that in his thinking. Of course, neither Nathaniel or Philip or Peter or Andrew or indeed any of the disciples or indeed any of the theological guys in Jerusalem, none of those, none of those would have known that Jesus was the Messiah and he was the one that was born, of course, as the scripture would say, as Micah the prophet said, in Bethlehem. Judea. But here he is, born there 30 years later. Now he's coming from Nazareth. And so then Nathaniel, he just blurts out, he says, Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Anything. You see, even though Nathaniel was a good man, a spiritual man, a lover of God, a lover of Scripture, Yet he had his prejudices, he had his misconceptions, even about his fellow countrymen. See, Nazareth had a terrible reputation. It ranked very, very low in the social standing within the land. I mean, <laughs> the beautiful people didn't go there on holiday. I mean, it wasn't the end place. In fact, it was a place that was known for unsavory characters. It was on the trade routes. And so it attracted a kind of a, of, a, of a rougher element, if we could put it that way. And in fact, the, the whole region of Galilee, all of Galilee, where, where Nazareth was located, is the northern part of Israel. And they were really not liked at all by the Judeans who lived in the southern part of Israel. In fact, there was a north-south divide. 
as there is in many countries today. In fact, as there is in our own wee country today, there is a north-south divide. And the Judeans really didn't like the Galileans very much. I mean, they looked down their noses at them. And the Galileans, they spoke with a, a more of a, of a rougher rural type of an accent. Do you, do you remember whenever Peter was warming his hands at the fire and when Jesus was being tried and somebody said to him, aren't you a Galilean? You see, his accent would give him away. Uh, and they were generally less educated and certainly less affluent. And they were not as sophisticated as the Judeans in the South. But interestingly, Jesus chose 12 apostles and 11 of them was from Galilee in the north. And only one of them was a Judean, Judas Iscariot. And the truth of it is that today, people are no different today than they were then. We still have our prejudices and our misconceptions and our biases and sometimes our bigotry, all of that. And depending which country you come from, or even which part of the country you come from, or even which part of the town you live in, often that will determine whether you are viewed a certain way or whether we're viewed a certain way also. And so it was from Nazareth, that place that had a particularly bad reputation, to, to be a Nazarene from Nazareth, well, I mean, that put you at a disadvantage right away. But it was from Nazareth where Jesus began to gather his disciples and he formed a band, a small band of men that would go on to rock the mighty Roman Empire. And in fact, would change world history unto this very day. And so the answer to Nathaniel's question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The answer is yes. Absolutely, without a doubt, something good did come out of Nazareth. Let me ask you a question. Is there a Nazareth in your life today? Is there something, an area that would put you at a disadvantage? That would perhaps put you in a bad light? That would maybe make you feel defensive? Or who knows, maybe even ashamed at something that's happened in your past? And can any good come out of that? Can any good come out of that Nazareth? I mean, can God turn that liability into an asset? Can he turn that loss into a gain? Yes, absolutely he can. Why? Because of Jesus of Nazareth. Because of Jesus of Nazareth. He came out of Nazareth, and you can come out of your Nazareth also. In spite of your Nazareth, God can bless you abundantly. Glory to God. Mary of Magdala, in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, out of whom Jesus cast seven devils, the scriptures say. How did she come to have those? We don't know. What episode in her life caused those dark forces to take up residence within her? We just don't know. But we do know that that Nazareth for her was an awful burden to bear. Whatever ill effects, though, that these evil spirits had upon her, she still managed, to, and probably with great difficulty, but she still managed to, to become a woman of considerable material substance and importance. You know, and all but one of the lists where she's mentioned, she always is mentioned first. And that shows some kind of a status that she had 
among our peers. However, having accomplished much in her life, she still had this awful, tormenting Nazareth experience in her life that just would not go away. It must have been hell to live with. But then one day, her life was changed forever because she met Jesus of Nazareth. Where and when, we don't know. But she encountered the Master. And when she did, her life was changed irrevocably forever. It would never, ever be the same again. And whatever business she had, she gave it up. And she became a dedicated, devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in Luke 8, her among others, it says they ministered unto him of their substance because now he had a, a growing band of disciples that had to be taken care of. And she, among others, out of their, their wealth, were able to give to that to make sure that they'd be okay. And then she would follow him around, as others would do as disciples, and sit at his feet and call him master or rabbi or teacher. Now, this was very, very unusual, extremely unusual. Uh, Jesus as a rabbi, rabbis normally would never, ever do this. But Jesus as a rabbi, he allowed the woman to come around and be his disciples and to learn of him. We, we know that Mary did that. Remember Mary and Martha? She sat at his feet. And so he allowed that. And so that tells us that Jesus himself, he, don't, don't let any feminist modernist tell you that Christianity devalues womanhood. It doesn't. In fact, Jesus lifted up womanhood, and the Bible does also. And Jesus went out of his way to touch women and to bless them and to minister to them. And so she would follow him around. And she was a remarkable woman. Of, of all of the, the lives that Jesus touched on this earth, this woman, Mary Magdalene, became his most devoted disciple female disciple of all. In fact, it's unfortunate, really unfortunate, that the wildly, had a wildly held assumption that she was a woman of ill repute, that she was a prostitute, painted her in a very, very bad light. And there is not one shred of scriptural evidence to say that, not one at all. But it spices up many a preacher's sermon, but actually it isn't true. Not at all. And she was the one who was last at the cross. In John 19, verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. She was there right to the bitter end. When all the disciples except John had fled for their lives in fear, she remained. And she was right there until Jesus breathed his last breath on that cross. She was so dedicated and devoted to Christ. This was a great woman. And then not only was she last at the cross, but she was first at the tomb in Mark 16 and 9. But when she rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. What an incredible honor that the very first person that Jesus spoke to after he rose from the dead was this Mary Magdalene.
What an incredible honor. The first human being to ever see the risen Lord was Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven devils. This high distinction was not given to any of the apostles, not even to his own mother, Mary, but it was given to Mary Magdalene. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Absolutely, for sure, absolutely. Something good did come out of Nazareth. And then there was Peter. And we remember his threefold denial of Jesus. And all the utter shame of it, the humiliation, the embarrassment. How could he have been so cowardly after all the, the boasting he did? Of all these leave you, he said. They all say, all these leave you. I'll, I'll not leave you. I'll be there to the end. And of course he wasn't. And Jesus says, before that rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny me three times. And he didn't believe it. But it happened. What a shame. And of course now his, his, his confidence is gone. His, his image now is in tatters. And he has now come face to face with his Nazareth. His place of shame and humiliation. His place of failure and regret. Now he's facing it head on. How in the world will he ever show his face again? What's he going to do for his future now? How's that going to pan out after this disaster in his life, this Nazareth, this shame and humiliation? Well, C.H. Spurgeon said, We often crucify ourselves between two thieves, regret for our past and fear for our future. I'll say that again. We often crucify ourselves between two thieves, thieves, regret for our past and fear for our future. That's what a Nazareth experience can do to us. We can live a life of regrets for our past and live a life we have fear for our future. For our future. But Peter, Jesus was not going to leave Peter where he found him. Now, Peter had failed for sure. Jesus warned him it would happen, and it did. But whenever Jesus gave word to those women to tell his disciples he had risen, he says, go tell my disciples, I'm going to meet them in Galilee, and tell Peter. Make sure you tell Peter, because he wanted to restore him. He knew how bad he felt. He knew how horrible he felt. And you remember that morning when they came from that fishing expedition and they caught nothing and Jesus met them on the shore and he had made a little barbecue for them and then he took Peter aside he denied him three times so he asked him directly three times do you love me Peter and then and in that conversation he fully restored Peter back to himself fully restored and then on the day of Pentecost after all that he had gone through after all the failure of his life after that horrible Nazareth experience of humiliation and shame. See him standing on the day of Pentecost and he's preaching his heart out and he's quoting scripture after scripture and the Holy Spirit is filling him and upon him and he's preaching and 3,000 people come to Christ in his first sermon. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Absolutely. For sure, for certain, without a doubt, something good can come out of Nazareth. For sure, some, someone good came out of Nazareth. Jesus saves the lost 
He lifts the lowly, he heals the hurting, he strengthens the weary, he lightens the load, he satisfies the hungry soul. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 29. And I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy, when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important, so that no one can ever boast in his presence. What is your Nazareth today? Maybe it's a broken home. Maybe it's a broken heart. Perhaps it's a failed business. Maybe it's a lack of education. Maybe you struggle with alcoholism. Maybe you struggle with drugs. Maybe something that happened in your past seems to be haunting you. You can't seem to let it go or it doesn't seem to want to let go of you. And all of these things, it could be a prison record. And all of these things is your Nazareth. But here's the good news. Jesus of Nazareth loves you. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, loves you and wants to save you and bless you and restore you and bring healing to your heart and wipe away your past and all of that Nazareth experience. He wants to bring you out of that and into a new place with him today. Glory to God. So would you give your life to him? Would you put your trust in him today? Would, would you give all of your sins and your mistakes and your blunders and your foul-ups and all the hurt that you've had and all the pain you've gone through, would you give that to Christ today and allow him to save you or restore you or bless you or help you through this situation and bring you out the other side? The whole story of the Bible is one of redemption. God redeeming men and women from sin and from themselves and from their experiences and giving us a whole new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So would you do that? Would you pray that? Would you ask the Lord to do that for you? Let me pray for you today. Let me help you to seek the Lord, to come to Jesus, to give your whole life over to him. And I promise you, if you do, if you say, Lord, I want to put all of my past and my sins and my mistakes, and my, I want to put all of that behind me, and I want a new life in you from this day forward. If that is the case, then would you pray this with me today? Say these words. Oh God, I come before you right now, and I know that I need your son Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. And I realize of all of my sins and my mistakes and my blunders has brought me to this place where I am today. But today I repent and I say, I'm sorry, Lord. I need your grace and I need your salvation. Would you save me today? Would you redeem me today? 
I thank you for going to that cross and dying for me in Calvary. And today I want you to come into my life and change me forever. And I'll give you the honor and the glory. And I ask this in your name.